Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 315, recorded August 25th, 2011, Off the Grid. Security Now is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly. All streamed directly to you, saving you time, money, and hassle. For your free 30-day trial, visit netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security and privacy online. And normally we would have uh, Steve Gibson, the host of our show, man in charge of the Gibson Research Corporation at grc.com, on the line via Skype. But guess what? He's right here. Yay! It's nice to have you here. It's it's so fun. I was here briefly, of course, a month ago. I zipped up just to do the very first podcast ever made out of these brand new studios of yours. And uh, then I I thought, hey, I want to come back. And I sort of deliberately missed the big grand opening party because I wanted you all to myself. Well, I'm really glad. I yeah. mean, you, and you're right. I mean, the grand opening party was fun, and you missed a nice party. Yep. But uh, it's kind of a little more normal now, right? Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to get a chance to, you know, hang with the crew and, you know, put faces with names. And this has been just wonderful. Well, it's really nice and, to have you. And, here. of course, this is, for me, a big show, which is why I, I set myself a goal of having this project finished. I've been working on this truly since the day after... We told everybody about the password haystacks. Right. That, the, that was a Wednesday, of course, w- when we recorded. And Thursday morning, I set myself up at Starbucks with the project, which was to answer the question, can I come up with a non-technology-based encryption system? Because the, 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 the whole password haystacks deal... Um, it answers the issue of, of adding entropy in order to make brute force password guessing much more difficult. But it, though it doesn't solve the problem, which is really a big problem, which is the, the per-website password. There's still that burden that, w- that we know, especially as websites are being hacked all the time, we know that, that it's, it's really important for security to use a different password for each website. And the fact is, unless there's something to help with that, it's probably really not being done that often. <laughs> no. So I thought, okay, what about some means for encrypting the domain name into a matching password? And, and doing that without a computer, just hmm. because I wanted to see if I could. Mm-hmm. That way it's universal. And you can't hack paper. If it's, if it's off the net, if it's out of your computer, or in this case, off the grid, then, then you're safe from anything that could possibly happen. So about maybe 10 days after 
I started the project. I thought I had something. So I, I wrote the following posting in I, – I have a news group at GRC called Think Tank, which is where I hang out and work with a group of people that are into like you know the early development phase of things. So I wrote, gang, I'm way behind here in this news group, 80 unread messages, because <laughs> – since last week's podcast about password haystacks, I've been working on a closely related follow-on project that I believe everyone here will find quite interesting and intriguing. During last week's password haystacks podcast, I mentioned that I thought that I probably had something more up my sleeve. It now appears that I do. For anyone who may have been wondering about that and waiting for the other shoe to drop, here's what I've been up to. I believe that I have a simple, secure, and highly practical, pure paper-based keyed enciphering scheme mm. to support the individualized encryption of Internet web domains into short 12-character high-entropy tokens for use as corresponding login passwords for those web domains. Such a system has advantages over any alternatives available today. Being offline, it's secure against any possible, any possible browser-based compromise or browser generated browser stored of browser generated or browser stored passwords being per domain it solves the problem that password padding does not of still needing per domain passwords for the best security being a keyed domain name and ciphering system there's no need to record store or remember passwords this simple paper cipher whatever we're calling it could simply be used to recreate any domain's password on the fly being able to generate 12 high-entropy password characters when given a domain name of any length, the user can easily make these longer or shorter, but 12 would be recommended for security, we get sufficient security without the need for additional low-entropy padding. Being paper-based, the system can be used to generate passwords absolutely anywhere, since it doesn't rely on any technology that might not be available. So it's both universal and cloud-safe, since there's nothing, since nothing is ever stored anywhere. And finally, being easy to use, which was my number two requirement, hmm. second only to security, the system requires very little training, yet can produce, I believe, industrial-strength encryption having hash-like features such that, for example, changing any single character of the input results in an entirely different result and so forth. And I, and, if, and I wrapped up by saying, and no, I don't need any lectures about the fact <laughs> that only fools invent new encryption systems. Yeah. I am well aware of the pitfalls of doing so, well aware. But I'm not trying to displace or replace AES Rheindahl or any, you know, industrial-grade in, in, in encryption system. I'm merely wishing to create a new alternative for users who are stuck using the same password everywhere or relying on technology, which can be a mixed blessing, to create and or store unending numbers of per-domain passwords. And I think I've done so. Yay. So that's the, the topic. I'm going to explain the, the process I went through from the start that Thursday morning, the day after the password haystacks was revealed, um, and explain how the system works. And we've got a whole ton of security news, especially the most high-priority security alert we have had in a long oh, this time. This was a shocker. You just told me about it a second ago. Yep. I'm kind of blown away by this one. All right, Steve Gibson, we go off the grid with Steve in just a second. Uh, before we do that, can I quickly do a Netflix ad? Absolutely. All right, we'll get to, we'll talk a little bit about Netflix, and then uh, and then Steve, it's up to you to protect us uh, offline. It's actually very interesting. 
technology you got here. I'm very, I'm curious about how it's going to all work. But first, let me tell you about Netflix. This is the place I go every single night. I hang, I hang out at Netflix because the Netflix streaming is so great. Thousands and thousands of movies, TV shows uh, for adults, for kids, available to you anytime on your iPad, on your iPhone, 24 different Android headsets and tablets, on uh, Windows Phone 7, of course on your TV set and in many Blu-ray players too. This is kind of the, the gold standard now. Have Netflix built in, your Xbox 360, your PlayStation 3, your Nintendo Wii. They can all stream movies, unlimited movies, for just $7.99 a month. That is a pretty amazing price. $7.99 a month. Free, though, for the first month. So if you're not a Netflix subscriber, give it a try. Go to netflix.com slash twit. If you are, and I know most of you probably are, do me a favor and uh, tell a friend, family member, co-worker, anybody who doesn't know about Netflix yet. Because this is a great deal for them. 30 days free of streaming. And you and I both know they're going to get hooked. Netflix.com slash uh, twit. We thank them so much for supporting Security Now. Yeah. Okay. Should we, well, I guess we'll start with the security news. We've got a bunch of stuff to, yeah. to cover before we get into the topic. Um, okay. Um, this is mind-boggling. Uh, a security researcher named Daniel Garcia. I, I need everybody to pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. Security researcher named Daniel Garcia discovered that that consumer routers made by Edimax, the Linksys routers, Sitecom, and Thompson, which is the SpeedTouch routers. See, I don't know the others, but Linksys I've heard of. Linksys, we know. That's the most that's the best-selling router in the business. They respond to UPnP, universal plug and play requests on their WAN interfaces. That okay, is Okay, I understand what that means, but you better explain. Yes, that's the side of the router which is exposed to the wild, exposed to the internet. And it means that that if somebody were to to send UPnP packets of the proper design at your public IP of your router, which is provided by your ISP, they would be able to log into your router and do the things that Universal Plug and Play is able to do, specifically mapping, configure the router, reconfigure the router, <laughs> m- mapping ports through from the outside into your private LAN. So open up holes in the router or the router's firewall at www.toor.do is the freely don't downloadable scanner, which has been created. To allow um, people to scan the internet for these. Oh. So, and, and in a short time, Daniel found 125,000 routers. I mean, Leo, this is like the open ports deal that I created Shields Up to help people with. Right. You know, where, right. where, where people had their hard drives mapped onto the internet without knowing it. So, from, you know, as longtime listeners of... This podcast, no. Our advice has been disable universal plug-and-play in your router as, as, as one of the things you do to secure yourself. So people who took that advice are safe. If your router has a provision for disabling the WAN side 
and you otherwise need universal plug and play, then I would say that's what you need to do. But if it won't, if it doesn't make it clear that you're able to disable that you're able to disable the the WAN side independently, turn off use, universal plug and play. Wow. I mean, this well, is well, we do that. We've recommended that for years. That yes. that's what you should do. Yes. But now there's a really compelling reason. In fact, I've always turned off uh, WAN routing. As well, when because I don't see any reason for somebody outside of my network to be able to administer my no, you, oh, you mean a WAN side administration? WAN side administration. You absolutely yeah. want that turned off. Yeah, um, not just password protected because right. we all know that there are problems with with, with relying on passwords to protect something. If and there may no be reason, back doors if there's no reason. If you, yeah. uh, if you and most people, why would you want to administer it from remote? Right. You know? Normally, you're you're only logging into your router from your LAN side right. in order to do do whatever you know set up its password and 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 perform configuration. Now, gamers will will be probably the largest group that have universal plug-and-play enabled or, for example, Skype users because Skype is now UPnP aware and it's able to perform port mapping right. if it's available. So the problem is it has never been secure. It's all, it was not very well thought out. And, and what we've now found is that, that hundreds of thousands of routers on the net – are exposing their UPnP interface, and 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 I mean, right now there are no doubt hackers who are getting ready to have some fun mm-hmm. firing this up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on h-online.com is the article uh, titled "UPnP Enabled Routers Allow Attacks on LANs," um, which just came out. Uh, so I'm sure people will be able to find it. We've got the link in our show notes, and so. Uh, uh, and if you if you click that that image to zoom in on that image, Leo, you'll see a sample of his scanner, which is just scanning through a chunk of IP space on the internet, finding router after router, which is is wide open mm. because universal plug and play allows you. It's designed to be a a software based, uh, you know, a a, a packet based administration for the router the idea that this is exposed by default in linksys routers among others is has to be a mistake unconscionable to me has to be a mistake yeah uh i do i do think that um the problem with upn turning off upnp which is a microsoft technology primarily comes from the fact that microsoft's xbox uh, complains heavy gaming. Yes, Xbox complains. It says, "Nah, I can't. I won't." For you may not be able to start, for instance, uh, or allow your friends to start an Xbox Live session with you, and so forth. Right. So, a lot of people whose kids have Xboxes, the kids say, "Dad, Dad, Dad." Mike and Microsoft tells you to do this. I know. Turn on UP and P. And uh, and and then my Xbox will work. Otherwise, it won't work very well. And, and that's why they turn it on. For anybody who does, who who is in that situation. There, it's well known that you can you can manually. It's, just, perf- it's a pain. It's a pain because there's three it's or four just, ports, and yeah, you got to exactly. open them it's up. Three or four ports that you need to manually route. You know, manually configure on your router. Our listeners, I would say, it's, it, it's you know doing that is not beyond them. So if right. you have if you're if you got an Xbox, you're into gaming, you've got UPnP on. I would say turn it off. I mean, that's always been our advice. Turn that off. And then there's, there are plenty of resources on the net that will show you how w- with different uh, routers to map those ports that you need through. And that's really just a much more secure way to, to, to run anyway. Yeah. I mean, it really isn't hard. You just have to know how the software works. And I think it does intimidate people. I'm not saying that. It definitely intimidates people, but yeah. it's not hard. Uh, Slingbox, too, they're telling me in the chat room is another 
uh, hardware application that wants UPnP. Right. And it would make sense to because it needs to anything it, make it easy for the consumers to yes. open up those holes so that the the uh, slingbox can communicate with the outside world. Yeah, Mo- if you can, if if the router allay- allows you to disable UPnP selectively, then definitely disable it on the WAN right. side. I don't even know why it's there. That's nutty. It, 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 I can't imagine that it serves a, u- a useful purpose to have that exposed on the WAN side, Leo. Yeah. It, I, I mean, well, I think if you're a sysadmin, let's say our uh, our guy Russell, our IT guy, uh, he wants to from home. Fix a problem with one of our routers. Yeah, but I, that's a, I'm sure he doesn't do that because he, wow. he he knows if you're a good IT guy, you know the dangers. Okay, I think that's a mistake. I think I think these companies just left that somehow made a mistake. Yeah. That's all. I have so, to give that. Uh, we talked about the recent reduction in security of AES, and there's been some some continuing discussion about it, as I knew there would be. Bruce Schneier, our favorite security <laughs> super security Love expert, him. Love him. Blogged. Recently, about he said, This is what I wrote about AES in 2009. Now, that is when that first related key attack was found. So, that was what three years ago, right? No, no two years ago, right? And he said, I still agree with my advice, which was cryptography is all about safety margins. If you can break n rounds of a cipher, you design it with 2n or 3n rounds. What we're learning is that the safety margin of AES is much less than previously believed. And while there is no reason to scrap AES in favor of another algorithm, NST, and he probably meant NIST, should increase the number of rounds of all three AES variants. And he wrote this two years ago. He said, at this point, I suggest AES-128, which normally has 10 rounds, be extended to fi- to, to be extend- extended to 16. Wow. AES-1, w- using a 192-bit key, which is now 12 rounds, should be extended to 20. And AES-256, which is now at 14 rounds, should be doubled to 28 rounds. Or maybe even more. We don't want to be revising the standard again and again. And he said, and for new applications, I suggest that people don't use AES-256. AES-128 provides more than enough safety margin for the foreseeable future. But if you're already using AES-256, there's no reason to change. Um, And then in talking about this story also, Sands Institute editor William Murray, he wrote, he said, since no claim as to the strength of AES has ever been made... Hmm. This is simply a mathematical this a, ma- a mathematical claim that the work factor for discovering a key is about four or five times lower than a brute force attack. Interesting. While this is a significant analysis worthy of a paper, perhaps even a headline, an attack using this information begun at the Big Bang would not have yet completed. <laughs> that seems enough time. And he said, I can live with that. Kudos to the analysts. <laughs> so again, we want to keep perspective. So a quarter of the Big Bang, big deal, right? A we, quarter of the life of the universe, big deal. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Bruce also blogged about stealing ATM pins with a thermal camera. Uh, researchers from UCSD pointed thermal cameras towards plastic ATM pin pads (laughs) and metal 
ATM pin oh, pads. This is clever. Yes. To test how effective they were at stealing pin numbers. The thermal cams did not work at all against metal pads. Really? Oh, because they probably dissipate the heat very quickly. And spread it so quickly. Right, right. Um, but on plastic pads, the success rate <laughs> of detecting all the digits was 80% wow. after 10 seconds and 60% after 45 seconds. That's amazing because you really don't touch, uh, when you're using an ATM, you touch those keys very rapidly. Yeah. And yet these thermal cameras must be sensitive enough to And just to that heats them up enough. Just enough. And, so, and when they look at it, they can see the relative heat. Right. Cause so the one that you first touched would be cooler, a little cooler Slightly than the cooler. one you second touched. So you touched. even get the order. And, yes. You get the order of them. <laughs> And then so how he, far away does this thermal camera can this thermal camera be? I'm sure it was like you know, right. right 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 there. Right. He said if you think about your average ATM trip, that's a pretty wide window and an embarrassingly high success rate for thieves to take advantage. So, you know, the idea being someone does their transaction if they're sufficiently quick, they walk away, you run over and take a picture of it right. with a thermal camera and see if you can if it's if there's still some heat signature left on the pin pad. So you should take your time at the ATM Ooh. or somebody's saying I never touch them anyway, I use a pen. That'd be really That'd good. That would work. Yeah. Don't want to leave your fingerprints behind either. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um we did get confirmation of Chinese cyber warfare development aimed at the U.S. Oh, interesting. Uh, for the first time ever, every time, you know, there's been lots of suspicion of it because IP addresses tend to terminate there, but everyone can say... You can, you can spoof it. They have plausible deniability. They yeah. could say somebody hacked those machines yeah. and they, they were looping through those machines. Uh, a, a Chinese military video had a few seconds of screenshot, which when uninterpreted, when, when translated into English, showed the IP addresses and some explicit instructions about attacking U.S. IPs. <laughs> this IP address apparently belongs to an American university. Yep. <laughs> it says select attack target in the big letters. And then the IP address to attack... That is amazing. Wow. And it was, it, it, the, the nature of where it was made it very clear that it was inadvertently left into a training video um, that, that uh, Chinese cyber warfare developers were using. This looks like uh, Linux. It so it's look a goof. like Windows. That's really interesting. It's a goof. Yep. Um, since we last talked, a serious crypto bug was found and fixed in the latest release of PHP, which is already now obsolete. Um, this, is a, this is a perfect instance of why fixing security software doesn't always provide you with the result you were hoping for. Um, version 5.3.7, you do not want to use. 5.3.7. It just came out, and shortly after it came out, it was discovered that anyone calling the crypt function using an MD5 with salt, the function would only return the salt. <laughs> it would give you back. It, hash it. it would give you back what you gave it. <laughs> All, no matter what your, the rest of the stuff was, you were telling it to hash. It would just ignore that and give you back the salt. 
Now, that was not the case with blowfish or DES, <laughs> o- only MD5. So it would only affect those sites that were doing it. But because it was such a problem, it, it was instantly fixed. And just this morning, uh, my friend Simon Zarafa, who, who uh, tweets me all kinds of interesting things uh, and did on, on, in, on another case about something else today, he sent me the note that 5.3.8 was already out. So probably in response. Absolutely in response. So skip over 5.3.7. Don't use it. Just go to 5.3.8 that has this problem fixed already. Um, And uh, thanks to Anthony uh, Basio, who's at a Basio in in, um, Twitter, he sent me what I thought was a pretty funny uh, original password recovery question which he w- he encountered when he was creating an account for the National Archives. Uh, he wanted to download some content from the National Archives. So one of the questions was rather common, what is the name of your hometown? Or what is your mother's maiden name? Okay, we've all seen that before. Yeah. What's your pet's name? Yeah. No, no surprise there. Who is your childhood hero? I think I've actually encountered that before. But I have never before seen what is your preferred internet password? <laughs> <laughs> this is the National Archives? Uh-huh. That's one of the things they ask you. It's monkey. Like, monkey. Now, I love monkey. That would not be the password you're using here because you don't know what it is that you're using this to this this password recovery option. Well, maybe it would be a good way to remember it. So hopefully you did not use your preferred internet password. And, of course, this podcast is all about not having a preferred yes. internet password. Yeah, well, that's right. We're going to... Show you how not to. That's do that. right. Although how you don't need to do you that. Could, you could enter uh, Steve's off the grid as your answer to that question. That would be good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was fine. also further good news from Twitter that was tweeted uh, thanks to Sergeant Joe, uh, who, who tweeted me, that we covered the fact back on March 15th that Twitter had added the option for always on HTTPS. It's specifically in response to Firefox, which is why I was, you know, felt that Firefox on balance was a good thing because it was, as it did with Facebook and it has now with Twitter, it was going to push people to start bringing up SSL encryption by default. They are, the good news now is that Twitter has blogged that they are beginning to roll out HTTPS on by default. It, they're being cautious about it. They're going to be bringing Good. it out in a few Good. accounts to make sure that it doesn't have some unintended side effects. But but they're saying it's our intention to ultimately do this. We just don't want to break anything in the meantime. So that's really good news. I mean, that's that's really where we want to be headed. Yeah. And in the for uh, our listeners know that our background topic that we are will be moving forward with i expect in 2 weeks we're going to tackle tcp is we are doing the basics of how the internet works from the beginning oh look my twitter is https you probably set that on by by you, you are able to turn that on on your settings page. Oh, I was page. smart enough to turn it on. Yes, probably. and, and, our, and I our, see. our listeners have I done see. that. I see. But the setting will be on by default. By default in the future, right? Which is really great news. So yes, it is. Uh, that, I do remember that now. It is in the settings page. Yeah. So um, Brian Whedon tweeted me a note that the infamous hacker group Anonymous has been using SNMP 
for pulling off their DDoS attacks. Simple network management protocol. Simple network management protocol. Um, that's a that's a way that uh, business uh, businesses, for instance, can manage multiple computers. The IT department manages multiple computers. Right. Uh, it's a it's UDP based, and we talked about ICMP and UDP in our in our last podcast. Um, and on our Q and A last week, someone asked about couldn't you use the internet's devices to hide your IP addresses. If you spoofed the source IP, for example, and pinged a router, it would respond with a an echo reply aimed at the apparent source IP. Um, and But the problem is it would only be responding with about the same bandwidth that you sent. Mm-hmm. So you'd, you'd have to be sending a huge amount of bandwidth out spraying all those routers and then they would be sending their ping replies aimed at a focus point down you know very much like like concentrating the sun with a magnifying glass onto the palm of your hand which you know doesn't feel good it burns you right okay snmp has the ability to be queried for all its data there is a send me your entire configuration hmm. tree. Hmm. SNMP is organized so that, so that, for example, assets are in known locations. There, there, there's something called an OID, and the one that starts with 1.3.6.1 is like all the configure information, configuration information that the device has, all the interfaces, all of its IP addresses, its DNS addresses, its bandwidth, its connections. There's just, it's a, you, SNMP essentially allows you to query everything you can imagine right. about the, an Internet device. And it's also able to say, dump it all. So you send a single... UDP packet to a router whose SNMP default password is public. And that's one of the annoying things about SNMP is the default password is public right. by, by spec. It's like all all SNMP devices have a default password of public. Well, they assume and, and, that the IT department, the IT's guy is going to fix that. Well, and that's the read-only password. Okay. And the assumption is we don't mind if you, you read doing it. a read-only query because right. you're not going to change anything. You're only going to get stuff. Right. So the point is that it turns out there are there are tens of thousands of pieces of equipment. I think actually the number is more like 100,000 plus Yikes. that will respond to a single UDP query and and generate megabytes wow. of data in reply. So what you end up with is a bandwidth amplification attack. And since it's UDP, which does not use the TCP um Connection ACK setup, ACK, right? Yeah, exactly. ACK and and um, and uh, Synac, Synac. Re- response right. that, that inherently verifies the endpoint IPs, and we'll be talking about that, that, that in two weeks. We're going to do t- uh, TCP next. This means you can spoof the your source address and aim the entire uh, <laughs> SNMP dump at a target of your choice. And it will just send it. And that's what Anonymous has been using. That's how they're flooding? That's what they've been using for doing their super potent DDoSs. So they're going to a bunch of different machines and saying, uh, the, the, we want an SNMP dump and sending it to Sending a single UDP off to some router yeah. telling it this is coming from them wow. and the dump gets sent to them. 
Wow. And it's how many megabytes? Well, I guess it depends on the size it of the network. It depends on the size of, of, of the SNMP tree. Right. But if you look at it, it just goes on forever. It can be quite huge. And it's a verbose protocol. Right. It's it's right. a messy, verbose protocol. So it just dumps all this data out. And of course, you do this to thousands and thousands and thousands of machines. Yep. Yep, just send a packet every so wow. often. So wow. that's a biggie. That's actually clever. <laughs> it is. It's very clever, unfortunately. Evil and, and diabolical. Um, Simon Zarafa also uh, made a note that uh, just mentioned that uh, Java was just updated to number 27. So it's it's Java version 6 update 27 is where we are now. And so you'll want to check in your control panel. If you've got a Java installed, it'd be a good thing to update that. It, they just did a bunch of bug fixes. It wasn't a, any big, huge security fix. But, you know, it's always good to, to keep that current. And, Leo, I have confirmed, as if we weren't sure, <laughs> the supreme geekiness of these listeners, our <laughs> beloved Security Now listeners. Not a surprise. Because... The 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 nerdiest joke of all time, which was, uh, I could tell you a UDP joke, but you might not get might it. Might not get it. Yeah. It was so heavily we t- re- retweeted by people thought who th- thought that was funny. So it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, that's perfect. That's so great. Um, I did want to mention that anyone who missed out on uh, this is in just total miscellany anyone who missed out on the $99 touchpad right don't feel bad webos you got you got yours already no. i i played with one in a store <sighs> Yeah. It's a piece oh, it's of junk. junk. No, that's right. It's a piece of junk. Yeah. For 500 bucks, I would be really upset yeah. if I paid it's that slow, last week. It's sluggish. It's not. That's exactly it. I'm, you know, just just like scrolling the calendar. Yeah. You can't, it like, it, it waits and then it jumps about out about an inch and then it decides to yeah. go ahead. It's, oh my goodness. So. Apparently, I, w- I was told that one of the problems was a lot of debugging was left on in the OS. And there are ways to go into the uh, uh, settings and turn off a lot of this stuff, which does make it snappier. But this was the same problem WebOS, you remember, had on the pre. It was just sluggish. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Yeah, I, we do know a lot of people ordered them. In fact, maybe as many as a million people ordered them. I will. I mean, for, and for $99. For 100 bucks, why not? Yeah. But still, you know, don't don't feel bummed. It is not the equivalent <laughs> of an iPad. There's a reason oh, it's not selling. Goodness. Um, and... Uh, Someone either wrote to me or tweeted, I wanted to mention, we, we were talking about the Lost Fleet series, which was a series right. of six books. There is a new series beginning by that author called Beyond the Frontier. The first book is Dreadnought. And so that has started. It's available in hardcover and Kindle and Audible. So across the board, um, you have to decide if you want to get sucked into a series that isn't finished yet. Because, you know, you'll be left hanging waiting for the next book. Right. But they are – I mean, I'm reading it. There's no doubt about it. It's just – it's a fun series. In fact, I'll probably do it before I switch over and do the the next that, – that Peter Hamilton series that will, you know, keep me tied up on my stair climber <laughs> for the rest years. of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And many people tweeted that I forgot to tell everyone where to get that really cool embedded processor – that we talked about last week. It's the processor, the, the, the $30 embedded processor that I'm going to be using for the, the portable sound blaster right. project. And I w- went, you know, jumping up and down talking about how cool it was. And I forgot to tell everybody where to get it. 
It's an arm. It's an arm-based. It's an ARM Cortex three uh, with a complete development. All the software is free. It itself costs thirty bucks, and you, all you need is a, a UP and a, 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 a USB cable to plug it into a, a Windows, a Mac, or a Linux machine. Anyway, it's lpctools.com. Lpctools.com, and you're looking for what they call the LPC seventeen sixty eight. LPC Expresso. So it's called the LPC Expresso, and it actually has two processors. The LPC 1768 is the interface for for um, USB, and then the LPC 1769 is the actual uh, target processor on this little board. You better hurry; they only have six left. And they, yes, it actually, as I've been as I've been responding to people tweeting, giving them this URL, I, I've been watching down. the count <laughs> dropping down. So, so people are, are, are snapping them up. This is pretty amazing. For 30 bucks, you get a Cortex-M3, which is the basis for many s- s- smartphones. Yes, at 120, 120 megahertz. megahertz. Yep. 512 kilobytes of flash, 64K of RAM, uh, and Ethernet, 100 megabit Ethernet, USB. This is pretty amazing. It's a fantastic, and all the all the library is available. It, it'll do a thirty-two by thirty-two multiply in a single cycle. Wow. There's a DSP library that'll do an FFT, and I mean it's just I mean it is, and all the software a, a full. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what's the open platform IDE that's so popular. Eclipse. Eclipse. A full Eclipse. Uh, platform made for this with the files uh, wow. ready to go from Code Red is all free. The, the, you, you, you just sign up and you're able to get it for free. So the whole thing is is thirty dollars out the door That's to mess amazing. around. Oh, it's got something like seventy seven IOs that are uncommitted um, and uh, multiple USBs. Anyway, it's it's a tremendous little development platform, and it's what I'm going to be using because it is also a ton of power. You know, there is the Ar- Arduino, but right. that's way it's much more. That's heavily interpreted, and then you're writing Arduino scripts. Here, you're you're writing in C, and it compiles directly into ARM uh, Thumb Three code, which is what the Cortex M3 uses natively. So it's great. And lastly. Uh, Boonie underscore NL on Twitter said, Steve, there are not 52 weeks in a year. What? 52.179? What? Leo, that's exactly right. Is it? Are you like, (laughs) how many places of pie did you memorize? (laughs) Well, that's a little pedantic. That's a little pedantic. So, yes, I took 365.25 and divided it by... Seven. Seven. And I got 52.178571. Wow. So, in I, fact... I, I, it was a guess. <laughs> That's a, just a weird guess. Damn, are you good. Maybe I saw it and I remembered it. Yeah, well, I guess I you did. I don't think it's in your notes. Anyway, wow. Very, very good. <laughs> and I did want to share a fun story by a friend, a listener of ours in Oslo, Norway, Bent Higher. He said, hey... I'm a 17-year-old boy from Norway who loves your show. Yay. It was actually what got me into liking computers. Double yay. And I found it very easy to understand, even for someone with close to no prior experience with computers. I started listening to Security Now just a couple of months ago. The first one I listened to was, in fact, the one about bitcoins. Then I listened to a few more before I decided to go back to the very beginning, and now I'm at episode 115, likely 150 when you read this. 
And he says, I love your show. And I have listened to it all summer long on the plane, on the train, and virtually everywhere. Well, I downloaded Spacemonger to see what it was, and I liked it. But on my two-year-old laptop, it was unable to read approximately 20% of the drive. I didn't care too much about it at first, as I have only used about 40% of the drive anyway. I like keeping it clean. But I had some problem with with Explorer.exe that stopped working, and it's a little hard to use a PC without that. This problem escalated after a while, and I decided to go into safe mode and do a full scan. However, I'd not got into safe mode manually before, ever. I've, I've just pressed the power button to shut it off and then on again. Not good for the computer, but I'm a kid. Please excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, so I figured it was probably in the BIOS menu or something. It isn't, but I found some hard drive scanning tools. Remembering in the back of my head that Spacemonger had not found my entire hard drive, I decided to run the tests. They told me that 80% of my disk was okay. Having 20% of my disk being dead was not a good thing. Mm. I knew what I needed. Spinrite. I had been lent a copy from a relative of a friend of mine. And he says in parens, I'm poor. And he says, and it worked perfectly. My disk is now 100% working, and it has no problems in the last couple of weeks. Now, I really want my own copy of Spinrite, but my parents are hard (laughs) to convince. (laughs) And since I'm underage, I need their permission, and more importantly, their credit card. Their money, yeah, forget the permission. (laughs) To make online purchases. So I decided that I will get Spinrite for Christmas this year. It will be my best present ever. Aww, he's asking for Spinrite for Christmas. That's all he wants for that, Christmas. That is, is nerdy. His own copy of Spinrite. So, Bent, thank you so much for your note. <laughs> Good on you, Bent. <laughs> all right, uh, let us get right to the uh, meat of the matter because I want to. I'm very curious about this. You do have a web page on GRC that people can go to to follow along if they run. Well, yes, although that shows the result. I'd be better if people sort of close Listen their first. eyes. Listen first. Okay. Yeah, and and you too, Leo. All right. Um, okay, so... My eyes are closed. The the What I said about doing was, as I said at the top of the show, I wanted to see whether it was possible to do something without a computer. Much as I love software and computers... Sometimes they're not the right solution, and depending on them can be a problem. You know, for example, we've got the problem when when Firefox is updated that plugins are initially don't work until they get you know caught up. They may not be compatible. So, what if you were depending upon something that wouldn't run with your new copy of your browser? Right. That would be a problem. Right. And how many people, for example, have something that's truly legacy, like you know, a thirty-three and a third? RPM LP. Well, what are you going to play that on now? I mean, you end up with with having things, you know, our technology does move forward. So I wanted something. Paper's good. It doesn't change. Absolutely. People have been using this for a long time. In three or four decades from now, it would still work. So first of all, we've talked really in the early stages of our encryption series about the, the simple Caesar cipher which was a substitution cipher where you named just, after Julius Caesar? Yeah, I think Is that I old? think so because he did, he was known to have used that cipher. Um, but that was a substitution code, right? Yeah, it, as a simple substitution code. The idea being that you would take 
the alphabet, and we'll, we'll talk about the Roman alphabet for, for ease of, of conversation, A through Z, and you would, you would in one case, remember the simple decoder rings would have right. one, uh, one ring of A through Z and, and then an inner ring of A through Z, and you would rotate it to a certain setting, and, and then your right. so-called plain text would be on the outer ring, and your, your cipher text would be the inner ring. And so all it's doing is it's essentially sliding down by a fixed offset any character over to a different one so that it's it's doing a one-for-one transposition of of the characters. It does, in fact, come from Julius Caesar. In fact, according to this book, which is a great book, I'm sure you've read David Kahn's The Code Breakers, yep. Julius Caesar himself wrote about the code in his book uh, Gallic Wars, you know, Omnes Gallia and Divisa Partes Trace. That's the, that's the book. And he talks about um, Cicero and, uh, and, and a letter that needed to be delivered to Cicero and it was enciphered in this exact method. Yeah. Now, the problem we have with that in this day and age is that we know that the frequency of the occurrence of letters varies dramatically. Right. There's lots of E's and T's right. and S's. There's very few Q's. And we, but we also know that the, the pair Q-U, like in Quest occurs often right and and so the the if you did a frequency analysis very of a, easy in fact of a corpus of english yeah. you'd immediately get this standard distribution of the occurrence of letters right. if you then did t-a-i-o-n-s-h-r-d-l-u by the way <laughs> in, there again in case, there you go again, in case Leo. you're interested <laughs> that's in english though yes yeah etienne Schurdlu. <laughs> and so, so if you if you took a cipher text that was ciphered in in a in a simple substitution cipher, there would be some letter that would occur the most. Right. And so the chances are that's, that's going to be an e. That's going to be an e. Yep. And the thing that occurs second the most is going to be a t. So it's easy to find the, for instance, it, and that's going to give you the h. And suddenly you exactly, and then you would also see you would see three letter yeah. groupings. Right. That had a T, a something, and an E, and you go, well, that one must be an H. Right. So you can imagine how simple it is to crack that. Right. Okay, knowing that, a, a smart person back in uh, the 1800s in England, somebody who anyone who knows electricity has heard of, named Charles Wheatstone, the Wheatstone Bridge. Right. The Wheatstone Bridge is... Four resistors connected in an H fashion, where you have two coming down from a positive source of voltage, connected to two going down to the ground, and then you put a voltmeter at the junction of those of those pair. And and Charles Wheatstone figured out, and actually he wasn't the originator of this. It was mentioned ten years earlier, but no one really paid attention to it. And he sort of brought it back and publicized it, and it ended up with his name. Well, he had a good friend who lived near him named Lord Playfair. And <laughs> Great name. He and Lord Playfair <laughs> used to walk around town talking about ciphers and puzzles and, and things of that ilk. Um, Wheatstone shared with Playfair a, a paper-based cipher that he had invented, wow. which, which 
which Lord Playfair really got a kick out of and showed some people, um, and it, it, it ended up catching on. This thing was used throughout World War I by a number of militaries, mm. and British intelligence was known to have used it during World War II. Mm. It's called the Playfair Cipher. Now, and what's interesting is that it, you know, it's the Wheatstone Bridge. It should really be the Wheatstone Cipher, except that everyone knows Wheatstone invented it, but Playfair got so excited about it, he just kept talking about it. <laughs> and so everyone called it, you know, Playfair, Playfair. Cipher. Right. Um, when, so what happened it's was... It's kind of funny because uh, Microsoft's encryption, or actually Apple's encryption for its DRM for the iTunes is called Fair Play. Uh-huh. And, yep. and uh, the guy who cracked it, DVD John, uh, ended up making a program called Playfair. Playfair. But I don't know if he knew. He probably did. He's a smart Well, boy. and you can Google it and you'll find uh, lots of information about it on, on Wikipedia. But I want to describe it to our listeners because... It also okay. So I, I so when I discovered it that Thursday morning, I said, "Oh, maybe th- my I, I, mean, I didn't want to invent something. I wanted to find something that had already been you know well vetted, was understood, people had looked at, and so I thought maybe the Playfair cipher or a variant of it would would you know was something I could use for this you know paper paper and ciphering system. So the way it works is. We have a 26-character a Roman alphabet, A through Z, 26 mm-hmm. characters. So we don't allow for numbers or punctuation. We don't one. do numbers and punctuation. The idea was to get messages in a, in a secure fashion delivered by couriers in the war in such a fashion that, that if someone intercepted the courier, they'd look at this page of gibberish and they couldn't decipher it. What's interesting is for a long time, this was believed to be uncrackable. So here it is. You you technically have a passphrase which you fill in in upper left and across, then the next row and down order. And that's the key for this square, the five by five the five by five grid. So it's it's very small and convenient. So there would be a passphrase and you just you simply fill in the 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 letters of that passphrase any that occur a second time you ignore so that basically you start filling in this square from the top down uh, uh, you know in in raster order until you're done with the passphrase then in alphabetic order any letters you haven't used already you fill in till you're done so you then go a through z then you exactly then you go a through z but for our purposes, just imagine all the letters of the alphabet in, in a random order occurring in there. Right. Because actually it weakens the cipher to have it be a passphrase um, because it turns Ironically. out. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> because things that are probably not in the passphrase like Z and V right. and things, they're going to end up being pushed down, right. down to the bottom. And it'd be better if they were in an unknown location in this grid. So Z tends to always be at the end. Exactly. Yeah. It's always going to be the last character. Right. Unless you have a passphrase with a Z. But- so what's so clever about this? This is the, as far as anyone knows, the world's first digraph cipher. That the, the, the Caesar cipher is called a monograph cipher, meaning a single character substitution. This is a digraph substitution cipher. You, you take the message that you want to encrypt. 
and you break it up into pairs of characters. So you have, you know, whatever it is, you, you, you blow off the spacing between words and you basically you re-space it in character pairs. You, you locate any two characters in, a, in like in the first pair, you find them on the grid. And if, they're, if they form two corners of a rectangle, then the encrypted characters are simply the other two corners of the rectangle. Oh, that is tricky. Yeah. And if they, if the, if they are on the same line, then you, t- you, you encipher by going to the character to the right of each of them. And if you ra- wrap off the end of the grid, you come back around. If they're in a vertical column, then you use the characters below and also wrap around. And that's it. So, oh, and if you have a double character pair, obviously if you had AA that occurred together, you can't, you know, it's just itself. But the part of the setup is you just stick an X, you separate a character pair with an X when you're doing your original uh, grouping by twos. And, and you, anyway, so you simply write down the, the characters that are occurring in the opposite corners of a rectangle, or if it's, you know, uh, same characters on a line or a row, the ones that are either to the right of them or or uh, underneath them. And that's all there is to it. Now, the... So, so that would be difficult to decipher, I think. It would. It, yeah. it would be difficult. And um, maybe not impossible with computer with uh, computation. Well, well, and that's the problem, is that what this does is it, it has the effect of b- dramatically blunting the frequency analysis. That is, if you think of... If you think of a frequency analysis as like having a, 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 a peak at E and then a lesser peak at T ah. and a lesser peak at S, right. there's, there, there's going to be a, a strong peaky response to a monograph uh, a substitution cipher. A Caesar cipher. Yes, a Caesar cipher. There will still be one ah. for a digraph cipher. So, in fact, um, quoting Wikipedia about this, w- Wikipedia says, Playfair is no longer used by military forces because of the advent of digital encryption devices. Playfair is now regarded as insecure for any purpose because modern computers could easily break the cipher in seconds. Very quickly. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's just nothing to it. But I wanted to... Isn't that funny? But that just shows you computational speed oh. is key in a lot of these things, yes. including RSA. Yes. So, okay. So I, I struggled with it for a couple of days. Like, is there a way to make it secure? There are, there are variations on Playfair. There's one called Foursquare where you use four 25 by 25 grids. You locate hmm. the two wow. characters in diagonally opposite five by five grids, and then you use the opposite corners for for your output, your cipher text, and that allows you to to have more independence because you just got much more entropy essentially that that, that you're able to store. Um, and I also liked it because one of the other problems with 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 Playfair is that it, you only could get out ASCII. And we know that high entry passwords, we like them to have special symbols right. and characters right. and things. And there was no way to encrypt numbers and the dot and hyphen, right. which do occur in domain names. Ah, good point. So I, you know, I, I thought, well, no, I just, I can't do it. But here was the other problem. 
one of the things I wanted, one of the powerful features of modern encryption, and we've talked about this when we were talking about encryption technology, is there are these things called encryption modes, like CBC is cipher block chaining. And what, what cipher block chaining does is it keeps each operation from standing alone. There is a, there's a fantastic example on the Wikipedia. If you go to Wikipedia and look up uh, cy- uh, encryption modes, the first link will be, um, uh, will, will be a link to Wikipedia. And if you scroll down, there's a picture of the Linux Penguin showing you the danger of not using a, a, a mode of encryption um, because even though you are encrypting, for example, with, with AES, we take a 128-bit block and we encrypt it with, with a key. But if we simply then take the next chunk of data and encrypt it with the same key, there's something of the content leaks through. And the, and the way to solve that is you take something from the previous encryption and mix it in with the next one. That is, so you make your downstream encryption dependent upon everything that came first. And so that was what I wanted. The, see, because the other problem with the Playfair cipher, not to mention any substitution cipher, is that each character pair stood by itself. Each pair stood alone. And that's just, there's no way for that to be safe. But more importantly, if say that you were encrypting, like they're, they're, like all domain names have .com on the end. So that would mean that the no matter what I did, the .c would encrypt to a, a character pair and the .om would encrypt to a, the same character pair. And so every domain name that had .com would always encrypt to the same four characters start to recognize that yeah well yes and no matter what came before it would always it would always be the same so suddenly you lose you lose four character this you know four characters worth of of the strength of your password you in fact create patterns which is what happened to tux here exactly yeah okay so so here is where what actually was a breakthrough happened um you know, and the old the old cartoon with with Einstein, where he's trying to work out e, so e equals mc squared, and he gets lost, and he says, and then a miracle happened. <laughs> Boof. You know, sort of there's like cloud, and then Boof. out comes the, the result. What I wanted was, I I wanted some way for this for something simple, a simple paper cipher to have memory. It ah. had to have state. It it had to therefore in order for the past to affect the future, you that you had to have state. It had to have memory. It you had to like be in a location somehow, like on a grid. And then I thought, okay, that means that that the domain name, the like the the character of the domain name, moves you. To a, to a next place on the grid. And then the next character moves you to the next place. So that the, where you are is, is the function of the history of the characters you have encrypted so far. And so I then thought, okay, to, for, the, for that to work, I need to have a grid 
which is 26 by 26, mm-hmm. where on every row and column, each letter only occurs once. Okay. So that, so that if you think about it, every row would have the alphabet in, in a mixed up order. But, but you want to be able to locate like, you know, A of Amazon at some point in the, like, say, on the top row. Right. Then you want to look up M of Amazon in that column that starts with A. So that means you can only have one M in that column. Right. Then you want to, wherever that M is, now you switch to rows and you want to look up the A, A-M-A, the A, the second A of Amazon somewhere in that on that line, on, on, on that row. So that meant, and I see someone in the chat room just said a lot like Sudoku, and that's exactly oh, right. Oh, Sudoku is exactly that. Um, yes. that, is a, that there, there are no digits that occur in right. any row or column. Well, twice and then, and then twice, I thought, yeah. okay, so I'm, that, so I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. So, and I thought, somebody somewhere must have thought about things where... There's only one of them in any row or column. And, oh boy, have they. It's called a Latin square. Sudoku is actually a special case of a Latin square. It is. It's actually a restricted Latin square because within the three-by-three sort of sub-squares, you also have the same same, um, constraint. constraint. So I I... Stumbled into a massive world about the Latin square. And if you know what I love is you've reverse engineered crypto in this sense and came up with the same thing in effect. By thinking about it, you realize, well, we have to solve it this way. We need 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 cipher blockchaining. We need somehow for the future to affect the past. And you know you're on the right track because you came up with something that is now, it turns out, widely used. Although never for crypto. This, as far as I things. know, this is the first cryptographic application of a Latin square. How interesting. Um, now, Leo, you've got to go to grc.com slash latinsquare.htm. Okay. Because I needed to, early in my research, and there's a link off of that one page if you want to. The workbench uh, here? Scroll, scroll down to the workbench, okay. and you can now start clicking things. We can play I with the Latin squares. I needed to understand how Latin squares operate. And so you, of course, he wrote some code. Yes, that's, <laughs> th- that is a the Latin Square Workbench, which is available on GRC. Is a it allows you to experiment with manipulating Latin squares because I, I realize that's going to be the heart of the off the grid cipher. Right, right. So, okay, so. Um, Latin squares have fascinated mathematicians for for decades. And one of the things that I learned, and Wikipedia's got a great page about Latin squares, they show, among other things, how many Latin squares there are. And what's interesting is the number of possible Latin squares gets big so fast that today, Leo... Today, nobody knows how many there are that are bigger than 11 by 11. 
Nobody it. knows how many 12 by 12. <laughs> we can't compute it. No, we can't compute it. <laughs> the mathematicians, if you scroll back up on that page above that chart, you'll see a there, there's a formula that shows that there are there are that we know that there are at least a certain number. Um, and that number is big when you get to 26 by 26. Very it, big. In fact, that number is 9.337 times 10 to the 426. That's big. Okay. That is in uh, 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 the, the log 2 of that, that is the number of bits that is, is 1,400 and 16, I'm sorry, 1,418 bits. Wow. So that is a, a lot. an incredible amount a lot of, of entropy. Plenty. Okay, so, so here's how the off-the-grid cipher works. Um, and, I, and for our listeners, I mean, I know this is a lot to take in. I wanted to give everybody a, a sort of a rich background so you'd be able to understand how to use this thing. The idea is that you can you you will be able to go to GRC and it's grc.com slash off the grid dot htm and it, there's a whole set of there's a, a complete tutorial in using it. There's a uh, I've written a JavaScript random grid generator and you wouldn't believe how much technology is in this <laughs> thing because I mean just to get this thing to to generate the grid quickly. In fact you if you want to you can see it work by clicking on watch it work and then regenerate one and it'll get stuck at some point and and b- as it's trying to solve oh. the grid because it's got to create a grid that obeys this latin square property so you're using a brute force almost right uh, i'm doing a a ver- a highly constraint based um tree search with a ton of heuristics in wow. order to allow it to not spend forever right because it, but but one of the, the, the one of the, the indications that it's able that there are so many grids is that it's just able to give you grids on the fly very quickly right. and no two of these will ever be the same because we've got so much entropy in this thing it's not even crazy uh, I, I mean it, it is crazy so <laughs> so the way you, you slow it down to Liberty watch it works so, yes under watch so, it works I, I, I actually use a, a different algorithm than uh, I on, on on the get it done I use a restart the row algorithm because sometimes it takes too long going too far back it yeah, is it's virtually it's instantaneous, instantaneous. Yeah. Um, and that took – there's some serious technology in there to, to get that going. Did, but, did you obfuscate the JavaScript or can we look at the source of this? And uh, um, I did obfuscate it, um, but anyone who is interested is welcome to it. And, of course, obfiscation doesn't help doesn't, you much. Easy, you can easily easy decrypt it because the yeah. browser is having to do that in, in, in right. order to run it. Right. Um, okay, so the way this operates is pretty simple. You take the first six characters of the domain name. And those are expanded into 12 characters for the that domain name's password. You look up the first character somewhere along the first row, the first line, and we'll take A. I used Amazon as my example in, in the tutorial. And, and Leo, if you go to the second page there on how it works, uh, you, you'll, you'll be able to see it on the site. Um, uh, Oh, and actually, I think the second page is all the criteria that I had, the goals I had, because I wanted 
any single change to a character to give you a completely different result. There, you know, many. I wanted really strong crypto out of this thing, and if people say, "Well, is this, you know, is this as strong as AES one twenty eight? You know, like like the, you know, commercial grade crypto? Um, it's different than commercial grade crypto. Um, commercial grade crypto, like AES, you know, the Rheindahl cipher that we've talked about, where you put in one hundred twenty eight bits and you get a completely pseudo random one hundred twenty eight bits out. You could – a bad guy could look at those in and out, in and out, in and out all day long and gain no information about your key. The uh, – as we'll, we're about to see, the off-the-grid cipher does leak a little bit of its structure with every password except there is so much <laughs> entropy right. in this thing that that – you uh, and we have done an analysis, and I have a security analysis of it, looking at the amount of entropy that exists um, in in the grid. But but let, let let me get to how you use it. So you would locate A of Amazon across the top, then you, you basically follow the path for the first six characters of the domain name. So you locate A, you go down to M, you go over to A, you go up or down to Z, you go over to O, and then up or down to N. Basically, you follow A-M-A-Z-O-N, and what that does is that will bring you to this the starting point for the crypt for what I call phase two, the cryptographic generation part. What the, what we've basically done is we have hashed the domain name Amazon um, using by, by following the path. We've hashed the entire name so that where we are is dependent upon every letter of the domain name. But it has more characters than the actual domain name. Well, the 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 encryption portion does. We're about to do that. You're going to pad it. Yeah. Well, no. We're what? what uh, there's two phases. Phase one, just we sort of run through the the domain name to get to the starting point. Got it. For phase two, that's the starting point. Yes, Got it. and and the reason we do that is. Is if 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 like so we have a unique starting point for every domain name. exactly yeah exactly so so that's like hashing, um, um, now we find a of Amazon again on the whatever row we're or, or sorry whatever line we were left on, and we find the a, and then we go we output the two characters that follow it in the grid. So we we output the two characters that are next that are like after the A. We call it um, uh, uh, skipping over it uh, or overshoot is is the term I use. We find the two characters after the A and and those we write down. Then where and so that's where we're now located. We then find the M somewhere in the row that we're now in and output the two characters ah, overshooting it. Got it. So for each character of the domain name, we output the two characters that follow that. And then we, we simply go through the grid for the six characters of Amazon, and that will give us a 12-character output. Or if you took grc.com, um, we, have, we have grc.co. Now, the way I handle 
the letters and dash and dot is at the top of the grid, in the center, the top of the grid, are the numerals 0 through 9 and dash and dot. And that forms a simple little translation table that allows you to translate those into alphabetic characters, which you then look up on the grid. Ah. So, so what we have, and again, I've got all this documented on the site. A user, um, and I, I, I need to say that, that I've got all the documentation there. I have not finished with the final grid printer. You could use one of these grids and print it out. The problem is I want to let people change the font, change the size, change the color. Um, they might want to print it again uh, you know, uh, in a different size. Um, so I need to add the ability to, to capture the key that's used so that the user can, can save that safely and then dump that into the, the page later. Right now, all of that's just happening behind the scenes. So, so you know, in the next couple of days, I mean, it's the next thing I'm going to do, but I wanted to introduce this while I was here in the studio with you, Leo. Um, so the idea is you print this grid, you then... Take it offline. I mean, it is just it's a it's a grid that that is a 26 by 26 grid, and you're then able to use it to encrypt. I mean, anything you wanted to, you could you could mail it to a friend in New York, and then you could use this to create passwords, which you then send in email to you know along with a file that's encrypted with it, and nobody who intercepted your email could could decrypt it. I mean, so you could use it for other things. I mean, it's a general purpose paper-based cipher that doubles the length of whatever you put in um, that has a phenomenal amount of, of entropy. Uh, and I go into all this on the pages, the, the, the security analysis of it. You're going to um, mark it up, though. If, if you use it, you're going to mark it up, right, as you, as you use it. Really? So you Print out a new. You can do it with your fingers. You'll, you'll uh, yes. You get fast enough. You're, you're, you're fast enough. And what is really weird is before long you sort of memorize it. <laughs> you sort of so you can reuse your grid over and over. Yes. The, yeah. The idea is you 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 just sort of scan along with with, with your finger. You know, A M A Z O N to find the start, and then you're able to just type. You know, type or write down the output two characters out for every character in. And so I've got this grid which I generated right from uh, your page. Yep. Uh, I go to A. The first A is right there in the upper left-hand corner. Okay. So now I go. Oops! It changed. That we it finished. Okay. Let me find the. There is the first A. So now I go down to the first M, and I don't care about upper or lower cases. No. Now that's one thing I, I didn't mention is that there. I I have upper and lower case in the grid. That'll be an option that users may want to turn off. Okay. Because it's been the comments been made, and I feel this way also that lower case is just easier to visually scan. Right. But. The idea is you ignore the case while you're while you're looking while for you're the generating, letters, but you but use, use the case when you're outputting them. That way, we get alpha characters with upper and lower case. So really, as I go, I start with the first letter A, and then I'll just take the first two to the left of it. Exactly. So my first two letters of my password are lowercase m, uppercase g. Yep. Then I know I remember where my A was, so I go back and I go down to the M. Yep. 
First two letters to the left, lowercase o, lowercase c. Yep. Now I'm going to go over to the next A. There it is. And again, capital K, lowercase r. Yeah, you got so it. So you're right. You don't really have to. Uh, you don't really. And what I have found, because I had one that I, I that, that I printed out, it's it, even, strange quick. as it seems, you st- some of your memory seems to, to get engaged, and you find that you get quicker with a given grid. And the hmm. idea would be that you, you a, a user would, would have their grid it's impossible to ever get the same one again. Um, I, we've analyzed the threat model. The threat model would be that somehow a bad guy gets a collection of your passwords generated by a grid and the matching domain names. They can start to. And they start to sort of piece it together. It. Yeah. And the analysis is how, well, what, if any, is the danger of that? And there is so much entropy. Again, it's, it's you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, uh, 1,418 bits of entropy. But consider, remember that what we just read about the, the the beginning of the Big Bang, and that you still couldn't find a 128 bit key. Okay, we have 10 to the 388 times that much entropy. <laughs> times that much entropy. We got it to give away. Yeah, and so so the. The, the secret of this is that while it is a leaky cipher, because think about it, your password is actually composed right. of pieces, little little two-character pieces. You could actually, start build the table yes. if you knew the clear text. Well, and, and so you would have a, the, the domain, a digit of the a character of the domain name and two characters that follow. Right. You don't know if it's above it, below it, to the right or to the left, but, okay. but you know that there's a, I call them a, a triple. You would know that there were those three. You also don't know where they, are, where, where they are relative to the other guys. But I have done an analysis that I, I will uh, suggest our listeners look at, um, which explains what information gets, gets freed. And, you know, the idea is, of course, that you behave yourself so that nobody gets all your passwords. Turns out you get nothing if your password gets stolen or even if a bunch of them are stolen because there are so many possible Latin squares that the bad guy (laughs) still has to guess. And no matter how much constraint they put on it, all the other ones are still not known. Wow. So that's off the grid. We now have an arguably secure 100% 100% low-tech, after you get your grid generated, it's low-tech, paper-based cipher. And my job here is done. Wow, that's really interesting. Really interesting. So I would print out this cipher, um, and I would follow your steps. Yeah, now, you know, you, people may not... The idea would be that any time you go back to a site, you can recreate... That's the key. Pa- ...the password you used right. from that site. So you might want to use it for, you know, dumb sites that make you create an account, like, just to post a, respl- a response to a, bl- uh, to a blog. Right. You know, where it's like, oh, okay, I just I need a throwaway password. I, I'm, I'm, so I'm saying that I guess... You know, maybe you don't want to use it for your B of A login that you're using all the time just because you wouldn't want to have to do this all the time. Or you might use this as the input to a password storage system. Oh, this you only use once. Yes, but... For maybe last pass. But it's always in your wallet. Right. So if for any reason you don't have your your storage system, you can fall back to this. Ah. So you could use this to generate passwords, really secure 12-character passwords, which you then store... Then you save. ...in your safe, 
But if anything ever happened to your you safe, they all came originally from your off-the-grid password. Of course, the first thing I ask is, well, why don't we just create a computer program to do this? But that is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to do this without technology. Right. That Exactly. The idea you was... You could have a computer program that did this. Um, I will probably do one, but I don't know how to make it secure. Maybe right. we could run it in a phone, but then there's a the problem with it getting loose from your phone. Right. I mean, the idea is really to be off the grid so that and, no... And there's a step of obfuscation here because you have... You begin your square in a kind of in a way that only known to you. Yes. Oh, one of the other we cool left things, that out. Leo, imagine that you're you're working with a, a server that requires you to change your password. You change your system. You start on a different line. Yeah. You all you have to do instead of starting at the top line, right. you start at the second line. You will get a completely different password if you start at the second line. And then you, if, if you have you're to make allowed a note to go somewhere. back to the first line, right. or you could do it like what month of the year? You know, zero. You know, oh, I month, like that. Yes. What month? That way the, you could recreate that, that as well. That way, you, exactly. You're always able to yeah. to recreate it. And so, actually, you could have up to 52 different passwords, depending on whether you start on which line or start on which row. Because uh -huh. you could also change the orientation and do do columns first instead of lines. So, the idea is it's... It's pretty flexible. It is. And it, what's cool is it's Latin Square. Right. And there's so many of them. And, and, and so, it's a Latin... Oh, and actually, it's a state machine. I forgot to say, it's a Latin Square driven state, well, finite state machine. That was one of the criteria that, that you, you had. That through the grid you needed some memory yes and so we get a 676 state state machine because that's 26 by 26 a webby in the chat room says could you improve the statefulness by starting your next cipher from where you left off the last time on the grid instead of row number one you could but then you, would you have need to remember no you'd be chaining ciphers right and that maybe is overkill <laughs> <laughs> and you would have to somehow remember where you left off yes i mean that's not something you could deduce yeah and really, also remember that we're only really choosing one of 26 rows or columns. So it's not like, it's, it's, you know, like to, to start phase two, the phase one where we follow the path, we're only going to be like in one of 26 rows. Right. So there aren't, it's not like it's, it's any place on the grid because we're going to then look for the first character of that domain name when we start phase two. But what I like about it is it's flexible, it's open, it's public domain, and it's just very cool. It's never been done before. People are grappling with the idea of how do we prevent losing it. Yes. Yeah. Now, okay, so you, and that was, that's why what I don't have yet is the page which will get, allow you to copy and paste the master key. So you, I will have that. Oh, so there is a key that used to generate. Yes, there will be a key, ah. and that that you put. That, in so a, you could regenerate the if you save the key. Yes, you can regenerate the. And square. the idea is you'll be able to choose font. You might want to make it bigger. You might want to change the color. Got I'll it. have all kinds of options that, that are driven by that key. Got it. And so we will generate the key for you randomly, but then you'll be able to save the key in order to recreate the grid at any time. That's excellent. Very very. Yeah, clever. it's just. You know, now we have it. We've never had one before. <laughs> I had all my crypto books pulled out here to <laughs> follow along. Wow, that is very interesting. Uh, and, and you don't have the issues of statistical analysis giving you spikes on certain letters or Correct. any of that stuff. It's completely, really completely random. Yes, it is. There are, there are so many grids 
that there is that it, there is no way, even with someone knowing a bunch of your passwords and the related domain names, there's no way for them to piece it back together. They, they, they can know all that. And all the rest of the characters have so much entropy still. Right. It's like I, I, I calculated it, and I'll show the math on, on my page. But we've got so much entropy that you, you know, even um, Reindahl with 128 bits, we have 1,418 bits of entropy. Wow. Yeah. GRC.com slash offthegrid.htm if you want to take a look at all of Steve's work and create your own secure square yeah play with it for now i'll have this thing finished and i'll i'm sure by next week i will announce that that, that the actual grid we creation page yeah. is ready well, right? you could you could copy and you paste could use the or, one yeah. the, the one that i'm showing right yeah, now yeah because it generates a new one every time you go to that yep. page right yeah. yep steve gibson is at and this is at grc.com that's the place absolutely the place to go whoops the uh, espresso board is sold out Yes, uh, it was sold out almost immediately, by oh. the way. <laughs> chat, the chat room is telling us almost immediately after you gave that address yeah, the last it's six. so cool. But I'm sure they'll make more. I hope they can make more. They'll, or get more. Or, or yes. get more or something. Yep. Yep. The company that makes them will make more. Um, if you go to grc.com, all the details are there. Uh, Steve puts the podcasts up there as well in 16 kilobit form. Full transcriptions as well. We have audio and video available at twit.tv slash sn. Sierra uh, November. If you want to go there for uh, for a copy as well, and of course on iTunes and the Zunes marketplace and everywhere else, you can get uh, shows like this. Uh, get Security Now. Subscribe to Security Now. That way, you'll get it every week. You won't miss an episode. And you could go back in time if you wanted. Three hundred fifteen episodes. They're all there, both at the Twit site and at Steve's. However site. many years that is. Well, we're now in our seventh point, year. Fifty-two point one eight seven. <laughs> one seven nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're in our we're in our five point nine sixth year or something. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, well, I think we're in our seventh year. We're six seventh we're six year. Point something. Yeah, we, we're, you're right. We're on. You're right. We're north of. We've six. completed six. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. So we'll have our Q and A next week, and then oh boy, the week after is TCP. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Steve uh, is also uh, the creator of Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. While you're at GRC, pick up a copy. You never know when you're going to need it. Don't wait for Christmas. Don't wait for Christmas. Bent's parents can get it right now. Just go to GRC. Dot com. We do this show. Normally, we're doing it a different day thanks to, because Paul Thorat wanted to switch. But normally, we do this show on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC at live.twit.tv. So you can watch in live if you prefer. I think it's fun to watch live because we talk before and after and so forth. Steve, thank you so much for being here. It's really nice having you in studio. I'll be back. This come is back. Really fun, we love having you here. Din- dinner's on me anytime you come up here. Ah, and, the, and the Cabernet. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time on Security Now. Security.